Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of CenterVision Leadership Foundation, where your vision as a leader builds synergy in the organization that you lead. CenterVision works transforming leaders, transforming organizations, and transforming lives. Our podcast interviews are transformational. You can find them at thenonprofitexchange.org, T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org. You'll be glad. Just pick an episode. This one's in there, and you'll find a transcript so you can pick up some of the sound bites that come across pretty fast. Our guest today is Wendy Steele, and we've got a just a great topic today and a great perspective. And it's something I think a lot of us need a paradigm shift on, you know, what is philanthropy? What is giving? You know, what is our role? What do we focus on? Wendy Steele, we're going to talk about how giving local sparked a global movement. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange and tell people a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. Well, thank you, Hugh. I'm very glad to be here. Um, a little bit about who I am. I am the founder and chief executive of a, a global movement called Impact 100. It is women's philanthropy. We've been around for about, gosh, approaching 23 years. Wow. <laughs> wow. Good for you. A little bit about you and your background and you know, what led you to want to start this movement of, of, it's a movement and an organization, Impact 100. Well, I had moved to Cincinnati, Ohio from the East Coast. And when I moved there, I was uh, an economics major in college. I was in the banking business. But alongside all that, I grew up in a family that gave back. And so whenever I moved to a new community, I always got connected through the nonprofits first. And I did the same thing when I moved to Cincinnati. I didn't know a soul and I started volunteering and I found a lot of great organizations. I'm rather a generalist. I like to serve the nonprofits that are doing the best to solve their most pressing problems, not necessarily in any particular niche. And so as I was doing this, I was meeting some really remarkable women. I was working in the banking industry. And so I would say to the women, gosh, we need you in this project, or could you help with this nonprofit um, gala or whatever it was? And what I heard were a lot of reasons why they couldn't get involved. And one by one, they would tell me about these barriers. Now, I had heard a no from women prior to moving to Cincinnati. When I lived in Boston, when I lived throughout the state of Connecticut, women would sometimes say no. But in my mind as a banker, I thought it was a math problem. When I moved to Cincinnati, the interesting thing about Cincinnati is that there are great opportunities for well-paying jobs because there are so many corporate headquarters there. Yet the cost of living is really low. So it's one of the few places where the math works in your favor. 
Now, as women were declining my invitations to get involved in the community, I started to believe that this was more than just a math problem. And so in the summer of 2001, all of this had really started to get to me. And I got out a spiral notebook while I was on vacation with my children. And I started to write down everything women had said over the years about why they didn't feel there was a role for them. They didn't see a viable path to community service and philanthropy. And then one by one in that notebook, I tried to overcome them. What ended up in that notebook is what we now know of as Impact 100. So you gather at least 100 women together, and then the women get to design their own experience. Most philanthropy for women at that time was very time-based, and this was not. One thing women have a shortage of, and that is time. So as I built Impact 100 as a banker, I called my very smart friends in Cincinnati and elsewhere and said, I have this crazy idea. Can you tell me what's wrong with it? And if there's nothing wrong with it, then maybe it already exists or will you help me build it? And as you can imagine, that's exactly what happened. If you ask, you, you, you're going to get it. Some people, don't, they think it, but don't ask it. So David's got a question brewing, but I'm going to ask you to clarify the word philanthropy. We think it's only rich people. And technically, the word means um, the love of humankind. So give us your definition of philanthropy. Well, uh, that's exactly right, Hugh. I often will remind people because philanthropy sounds sort of highfalutin. You know, you've got to be somebody. And part of why I intentionally use that word is that it is the love of humanity and therefore strategic philanthropy is loving others well. But philanthropy isn't just loving through gifts of cash. It is serving, whether it's your time, your talent, or your treasure. You can be a philanthropist. You can love others well with whatever you have. David, I think that matches our definition to the T, doesn't it? You're not kidding. In fact, <laughs> I thought maybe she read our handbook or something. I'm not sure. Because <laughs> we use we use time, talent, and treasure as our method of, of explaining. And that's great. You know, you kind of gave a little insight into how you formed it and what each chapter can do and so forth. But can you get a little deeper in and tell us how does, how does it really work? The way it works is that you gather at least 100 women in a local community. They each donate $1,000. 100% of that money gets pulled together and offered into the community in grants of $100,000 or more. Now, we are not necessarily women funding women and girls, although certainly sometimes it works that way. But Impact 100 is designed to be women funding community. So when we gather the women together, we then announce to the nonprofits how many women we have, and that's the dollar amount that they apply for. So back in Cincinnati, in year one, 123 women came together and we offered a single grant of $123,000. Now, when nonprofits apply, 
they apply in one of five focus areas, education, health and wellness, family, arts and culture, or the environment. The idea being that there wouldn't be a nonprofit in the community whose mission wouldn't qualify. I see. I, I'd like to ask another piece of the question. You, you focus on local and is there ever an opportunity when one of your chapters goes international? It's an interesting question. And we, I'll say no and yes, and bear with me. Sure. The idea behind local is I believe that there's no one better to really determine where the best solutions are, which nonprofits are, are doing the thing that's going to really move the needle and create change, then local people, and I would beg to say local women. However, there are many women who are members of multiple chapters. So, so as a member, you don't have to live in the city that you want to support. You just might love it. And so you might say, I'm crazy about Sydney, Australia. So even though I live in Connecticut, I'm going to join the Sydney chapter along with my, my local chapter. The other way I'll say it's a little different. We currently have a brand new chapter that's launching that's fascinating. It, it's called Impact 100 Global Veterans. And all of the leadership team and all of the members are women who are veterans of the United States Armed Forces. They will fund anything in the continental United States in those five focus areas that serve veterans. So that's kind of a, an interesting application of the model. Yeah. Generally speaking, starting local is the most powerful way to watch things change in your very own community and your very own backyard. And so that's always been the focus. Beautiful. Terrific. Wow. Thanks. Wow. 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 That's amazing, isn't it? So you started um, now people. Um, I don't think they know much about Cincinnati. It's the place like you, you alluded to uh, that has the most, I think there's 17 national business headquarters. there, like Kroger, Procter and Gamble. I mean, it's just a, I don't know how they all ended up there, but yeah. you know, um, they're there and, you know, they have their own version of Chile, <laughs> but, you know, Skyline, I think it is. So um, also it has the longest standing tradition of choral music. The concert hall was built for the May Festival Chorus, not the symphony. So it's a very interesting community within a very underappreciated, but you've started there. That's because you live there, right? And then I did. Yeah. And then you expanded from there. So how is that an intentional expansion or, you know, what is your plan for expanding? Oh my gosh. It's a great question, Hugh. So when I was creating Impact 100 in that spiral notebook, I really thought I was building something for that community. I, I didn't imagine that it would take off the way it has. And the way it's grown all these years is right after we made our first grant. So I had the spiral notebook in the summer of 01. We had our nonprofit status, our 501c3 by March of 02. By May of that year, 123 women had written a check and that's all we could take back then was a check. We received well over a hundred applications and we the membership vote. So it's one woman, one donation, one vote. 
The membership votes to determine where the money goes. So we're fully democratizing philanthropy. And they voted to give the money away that September, so September of 02, to the McMicken Dental Clinic, which is a dental clinic in over the Rhine, if you know that area, serving the homeless and uninsured. Now, we were then ready to do it again, because when you join, you join for one year. And then we ask you back to please re-up and hopefully build, bring your friends so we can give more money away. But what was unexpected was People Magazine somehow found out about that one grant. And it was sort of miraculous because we couldn't get local coverage to tell our story. Suddenly my home telephone rang and it was People Magazine. That story was published talking all about how Impact 100 works, talking about our very first grant. And that hit the newsstands January of 03. And so then we started growing. And ultimately, our growth, both domestically and internationally, has been 100% organic grassroots. Someone in a local community raises their hand and says, I've heard about what you're doing. Will you help me start? And that's today, which is 22 years later, that is how every single chapter has started. That's great work. Great work. Hmm. Oh. Now, I understand you have a new book. I do. And it's called, tell us what the, the title is again. It's called Invitation to Impact, Lighting the Path to Community Transformation. Good. I've got it in front of me, and that's that's exactly what it says. So you did real well. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what's in there. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's part of my personal story. You know, I think sometimes... When you see the success of Impact 100 or or you see me, if you look on my website and you'll see even, even Zoom kind of photoshops you a little bit. So sometimes, especially as women, but I think all of us do this, we see someone else's highlight reel. We see their success. We see them when they're accepting award and they're at the podium. And, and we believe that that's who they are and how easy or wonderful it must have been. And when we consider whether we could achieve the sorts of things we see other people do, we often run our own blooper reel in our head, every mistake we've ever made while we're admiring everybody else's, you know, best day ever. Sure. So part of this book is meant to shine the light on the local Impact 100 leaders around the world who are doing the great things. Part of it is to demystify, to say, I was a very unlikely founder. I have been very committed. I've worked very hard. There are a lot of things I've certainly done well and done right, but there are a lot of things I didn't. And it kind of opened the door so that people understand that when someone else lights the way, you can use their light and add your own and make it brighter so that more people follow, more people understand. And I think when it comes to serving others, helping philanthropy, all of those things, community service, we need everybody to be involved. And so this book is written to say, you know, how do you encourage your children to give back? Or how do you, how do we make mistakes as philanthropists? So it's, it's meant to be actionable. It's meant to 
um, be very real and transparent about some of the bumps in the road, but also I hope to be inspiring so that when, when you finish reading it, you think to yourself, what am I going to do first? I have, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm charged up and I'm ready to go, whatever that is and wherever you are. Wow. Well, does that lead people into setting up a chapter? Is it like a manual? And does it get in some of the juicy stuff? You just alluded to things that you didn't do right. <laughs> <laughs> now you open the door. Yeah, it's true. I open the door wide open. Um, it does get into some of the mistakes. And no, it's definitely not a manual. Because I talk about Impact 100 in the book, in the appendix, there's a, a little summary of how it works, just so that people won't feel that I'm speaking a foreign language. But I use Impact 100 not because I think everyone should go out and start a chapter, but because if you understand how simple and powerful one person's idea can be, especially someone without a nonprofit pedigree, someone who's unexpected, that it then might give a little fuel to that fire that you have within you. I believe that if we're really troubled by a problem, whatever that is, and you can't get it out of your mind, I believe it's because you've got some role in solving it. And in my case, I was troubled by women not being involved and nonprofits not getting grants that were significant enough. And I figured out a way that worked. And I, again, I thought it was only gonna work one place. It turns out it's working in lots of places. And that's probably grace in and of itself, because had I known how big it would get, I may not have had the courage to move forward. But that's what I hope this book really tells, is it gives you the courage to move forward. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm just, that's, and you are one person. And I am so, one person. I'm just one person. Well, duh, come on. You've, you've started, like I said before by mistake, but it's right. It's, it's not only a, a, a organization, it's a movement. And you didn't say why. You said why not? Let's do this. So before David's got a good question coming, but um, um, what are what's one example of something? You know, we got a lot of nonprofit leaders that are wondering. What, can you give me advice on something you did that you shouldn't have done? Is there anything you feel comfortable sharing on that? Oh my gosh! You know, I think it's just all the things you don't know before you start. And in the beginning. Um, we would, when different communities would come and they would ask, can you help us get started? You know, when we started in Cincinnati, it was a group. I surrounded myself with diverse women who knew things I didn't know. So, you know, I never wanted to surround myself with people who would agree with everything I said. You know, it's not necessary to have more than one of me. So let's get people who know more than I do in certain areas and who will respectfully provide discourse. When the first chapter started to come to us and they wanted a copy of our bylaws and they wanted some of the other kind of details, well, as a team, we had wrestled through that and we felt in those struggle, in the wrestling through how the bylaws would work that helped solidify not just our commitment to what we were doing, but our trust and our commitment to each other. And so initially, we, I would give guidance, but I would really have the local chapter do a lot of the heavy lifting. And now I've since learned that there's probably a happy medium between spoon feeding a plug and play thing 
that they might not even read and understand their own bylaws to really making them wrestle through all of it. So that's kind of an easy example of how, you know, things have evolved. David, she's been really successful, I can tell. <laughs> uh, you think? <laughs> for sure, for sure. In fact, you mentioned that uh, your first one was 123,000. Well, you've grown your organization a thousand times bigger. Isn't that crazy? It's kind yeah, of right? I, I have a statistic here that I'd like to say. At the end of 2020, and I don't know how your year is going, maybe you can give us a little insight. You have you have cumulative, cumul, I don't, those big words really get me, cumulatively uh, raised over $123 million. Yes. Holy moly. You must be incredibly pleased, proud, and my gosh, what a great job. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. It's, um, yeah, it's wild. And as I said before, I'm a banker. Um, and so the serendipity of the number that we ask our members to give a thousand dollars in that over 20 years, we've grown a thousand fold is just hard to get my head around. It's, it's poetic. If numbers can be poetic, it's very poetic. Um, and we're growing faster now than we ever have before. And so the relevance of the model is, is even stronger, I think, as each new generation kind of makes it her own. Um, it, it's, it continues to grow. We, I still get messages every week from communities saying, I've heard about the model. I'd like to bring it to my community. Will you help? Oh, goodness. That's great. Congrats. Thank That's you. Beautiful. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. They're going to gonna wonder where to find you. And when we give them their, your website link, it's um, impact, I-M-P-A-C-T, and the number 100-100, impact100global.org. And so people listening can't see it, but people watching can. So <laughs> what will people find when they get to your website? Oh, my gosh. Yes. So they will be able to understand how the Impact 100 model works, where all the chapters are located. We are, I think you said in the opening, we're in four countries. And so you'll be able to see that. Upcoming events, resources. They can also contact me that way and um, get in touch whenever they are interested in learning more. Lots of good stuff. Is your book on here in the resources? It's not. Our but my book is not available through the website. It's available at every online retailer. So Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, or your local bookstore. So your model, a hundred women come together, each woman donates a thousand. So you got a hundred thousand donated to local charity. That is awesome. Wow. <laughs> very simple, very powerful. Yeah. So David and I are going to talk about our community for a minute, and then we're going to come back to you and you to share what's next and um, what do you what what uh, what do you want to say to people as a parting parting challenge or thought? So for years we've had a private community, and people can find it at we make it easy nonprofitcommunity.org. It'll take you to what says Centervision Community, but people don't know how to spell that. So it's nonprofitcommunity.org, and it's a free portal. 
where people around the world come together and we have chats. We can post articles. You can post videos of what you're doing, articles, meet people, and just, you know, you find people across the globe sometimes in the next block from where you live that can be a part of what you're doing and give assistance to it. And so we have um, one of the advantages is a free level and then there's a paid level where you got a whole lot of support and content. And one of the things we do each week is we gather and every day, David, we had a pretty powerful session today. So every Tuesday we have a QA and a and we have a theme, but you know, it goes deeper than a theme. David, what's the comment up that we experienced today in our weekly meeting? Well, we, we, we talked about your main skill, what's your superpower, if you will. And you got, you know, everybody's got more than one skill in their, in their tool bag, but what are the gaps that are between you and getting better at more than one thing? And, and on how can we as a community help you bridge that gap? And that was today's discussion. We, every week we have something new and different and it's phenomenal. We have people from Europe who are part of our organization, uh, people from South America, uh, although we haven't seen Zuli in, in a few weeks, but uh, she's um, she lives in Ecuador, and I'm proud to say I lived there for six weeks, call it living. And Africa, uh, we got Africa, and we got another country, uh, yeah. California, One, that country. Right. Calif- yeah, that's what you got. You got to include that country. Yeah. So, so David was part of the really good discussion today and we help each other out. So you have all of that. It's kind of lonely work we do. So you have camaraderie with peers and then we have experts come and talk about things. So we do have a philanthropist expert who wrote philanthropy misunderstood philanthropy misunderstood. Got to say it right. Book Bob Hopkins. So um, David, sorry, I cut you short. I'm looking at the clock here, but yeah, we we could talk all day about our community. So look it up, join for free. And if you want to, apply for the paid level we certainly would invite you to do so nonprofitcommunity.org and wendy uh, you've given us a lot of lot of data so end up with telling us what's next for impact 100 and what thought do you want to leave people with after this really helpful interview oh my gosh so what's next for impact 100 what i'm working toward is you know our organic growth continues it's like once that paddle wheel starts moving it's moving but it relies on someone locally to raise their hand never have we had the luxury to either go out and identify a community and say you know we should have an impact 100 chapter in this town in this state um or to proactively go out and serve the existing chapters to be able to say you've been around for this long, we want to help you reach your next goal. So everything has been reactive. Our goal is to continue that and add some proactivity. What I hope to leave all of your listeners, viewers with is is this. I was an unlikely founder, and yet I have started something that has grown beyond my wildest imagination. And so my hope is is that you all will decide what it is that you want to change, how you want to make the world a better place, and that you roll up your sleeves and you do it. Instead of being focused on the problems that we see on the news every day, try to find those people, local or global, who are moving the needle, 
who are part of the solution and then help them give your time, give your talent, give your treasure. And when you do, you'll find that you're more optimistic, you're happier, you're more hopeful, and you're a lot less worried, depressed, and concerned. And it doesn't take much, just act. Beautiful. Oh, David, we've held the bar high today. You're not kidding. I'm, I'm impressed. My gosh. Yeah, um, Wendy. Thank you for the inspiration. Yes, thank you so thank much. Thank you. I'm so glad to have been a part of your show. Thank you. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.